and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two degenerate people join forces, match their signet rings together, and I then knew it. We get jewelry this episode. I don't know if you know. Episode 27 is the, the episode of jewelry exchange. Um oh, like oh anniversary. Yeah. Like, did okay. you get me something? Mentally, the most beautiful signet ring you've ever seen. It lights up Angie. in multiple shades. Angie. All right. Well, we're going to have to call this episode because Angie's got to make a run to the jewelry store because <laughs> I will not be doing something with glow sticks or. I am only going to the jewelry store that has a menu that says, how mad is she? And then directs me at what I should purchase. You know, aside from the misogyny of that, but uh, I don't know how. Nah. Okay, um, but hey, anyhow, you know it's hilarious. If you walked into a jewelry slash flower shop and there was a menu that said "How mad is she?" You would not laugh. I would laugh my butt off. I wouldn't laugh. I would. I would kind of look at it and just be like, "So, which one of the four C's do we hate the most? Like, are we going for clarity? Is the cut? Is the cut? like basically? You know, like <laughs> if if it's got a sign like that, it is not serving." the looks uh, i'm in for no it's like a bodega like it's just right there on the street corner like yeah, probably... no i mean it's, i'm gonna um... want some doors pain nonsense right like i'm gonna want some cartier some Bugatti. like look you got your red bottoms i have custom jewelry <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm not trading my red bottoms here like, like no but i mean like seriously <laughs> like i just i don't know like i i designed my own wedding ring the necklace i'm wearing is one that mike designed like, yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I just, if you're going to buy fine jewelry. Buy fine jewelry. Not from the buy. bodega with a menu. Yeah, like, if they're going to put some tacky-ass sign on the side. <laughs> that has probably got some magic marker on it somewhere, scribbling out something. Anyhow, yeah, I'm they're, I'm they're Teresa. Out of that one. <laughs> That's Angie. That's what we forgot <laughs> to do. Here we are. The point is, she's trying to say we've spent all week marinating in these stories and we just want to put them on the grill for you. And this is a history podcast, despite the grilling metaphor and the bizarre jewelry startup. You did mention Doris Payne, though. Yeah, okay, but that's a deep cut at this point, you know. What was she, like episode 10 at this point? Maybe. I don't know. I feel like I should know that. Let me... Let me look that up. I'll wait here. Yeah, that. why don't you? Would you? <laughs> she Honestly, she's over there cursing at me in her head. You know, I mean, it's only because my hands are busy. Otherwise, I'd show you what I just learned on TikTok. <laughs> there was some discussion in my office today about the many ways you could use your hands to make that gesture. Um, That, that had me chuckling to say the least in my office you know any of those conversations that sound either hr adjacent or <laughs> those are ones i'm in for they're my favorite listen we just did our hr training we're fine yeah it was it was doris Payne before or after the great spaghetti harvest i thought she was right after I don't know. It's an older episode. I'm not going to find it right now. I'm I'm getting distracted and I'm going to lose my Anyway, notes. the long and short of it is Doris Payne is a badass with great oh, taste. Absolute, like, renowned jewel thief. Great taste. She 10 out of 10. Her. Would jump out of a plane with her. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd sit in a jail cell next to her. I'd I'd hope that she asked me to hide something. That's fair. <laughs> Please come back, Miss Payne. I'd like to have tea with you later. I know. Can I stash that four carat somewhere where you don't remember or don't want it back? Great. Please. Okay. <laughs> so what are you gonna tell me today? I'm so excited. Okay, so this started when my mother-in-law gifted me a book. It, I say gifted, like she actually went to the store, thought about me, picked it up, looked at the cover. She compulsively bought it, read it halfway through, told me about it. When I went to take it from her, she took it back so she could finish it. <laughs> and then I got it as a cast off and a hand me down when she was done. The book is called The Dark Queens. Okay. I'm by Shelley Puhak. And it is about these two forgotten queens in Frankish history. Oh, this is on my to be read list. Is it really? Yes. Let me spoil it all. I'm so excited. Hit oh, me with it. My gosh. I'm so you excited. don't even know because I went through and I started with my notes and I got 12 pages. I'm like I am not going. I, so I started <laughs> cutting it down. Right. And I got it spills over to the sixth page. Hey. And I'm here. I mean, I did my best. I tried to take out a bunch of the extraneous names. Um, hey, I finally found a source that for when I do my story might actually make it past three pages. So, hey. Well, well, not no. <laughs> I mean, watch out for me. We might actually, like, we may or may not get to, probably won't get to your story. But I if, say don't get to mine. It's only half done because I just found this source last you night. You suck. <laughs> that means that, like, we can't record two episodes and get further ahead. All right. Anyhow. Anyhow. You only eat dinner in an hour anyway. I don't eat. I got me another cider. Oh, my God. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> that... Your comment literally made my day today. Like, uh, some of us aren't doing anything today or something like that. And I was like, oh, bitch, I was actually eating my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you text your friend, when you're doing stuff and you guys throw shade back and forth because one of you had a cider instead of lunch because you thought that sounds good. I'm not really hungry. And then realized your tolerance ain't quite what it used to be. Here's the thing. That's um, that's our love language, I think. Mm -hmm. if we're not throwing shade are you okay i mean really honestly if i'm overly polite i either have amnesia or i'm livid or we haven't met yet <laughs> yeah that's yeah actually you know where i'm just like hi i don't think i can be absolutely atrocious to you yet hold hold please i'm gauging right yeah. now it's like mm. find the chink in the armor slip him a bad meme <laughs> call Giggle. it good if they I like the meme we're friends if not block me yep i'm uh, about to get the ban hammer um speaking okay. of which you are the worst bet i've ever met <laughs> 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 it's a deep cut of memes and i'm not going to explain that entire one here i don't think you need to just know all right my I am heart the worst bet. you won me right there you are the worst vet ever. <laughs> I mean, that was one of those memes I was explaining to my sister yesterday because I knew I wouldn't be able to find it in time. And she was just like, oh, that, oh, that's funny. Oh, my. Oh, 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 oh. I was like, yeah, it keeps going. Um, it's better <laughs> or worse, whatever. Or worse. Hey, I mean, me. take your pick. So my sources, Dark Queens. The Dark Queens by Shelley Puck. It is a 
whole book and it is incredible. Um, she also wrote an article for the Smithsonian Magazine, really trying to. For the, did you book. say the Smithsonian? The Smithsonian. Did I say it in cursive? <laughs> I heard it in cursive. Oh, that's, you know, same, same. Um, the article is titled The Medieval Queens Whose Daring Murderous Reigns Were Quickly Forgotten. Um, they shouldn't have forgot. I know. And then she did a couple podcast interviews and all of them are really just about her book. And like, you can't find information about these queens without finding her name and fingerprints on it unless you read say french and you go to france and you touch these medieval documents i mean that said like her work cited part at the back of the books freaking thick like i thought i still had another three chapters and i was so disheartened when i was just like finish and i was like oh man wait there's not a, a map time. oh no there's plenty of maps there's oh, maps okay. there's photographs of the art um anyhow i am so i have no idea how excited i am to hear this story okay well do, do you know the saying it's not over till the fat lady sings yes do you know where it hails from i assumed opera it does hail from an opera do you have That's anything more okay so um Wagner, okay, Wagner wrote an opera, um, and it the one he wrote that has that one, it portrays a woman named Brunhilde as a Valkyrie, and she's tasked with carrying the dead warriors off into the paradise in Valhalla. Um, it is a fifteen-hour opera cycle. Oh. So if you thought Titanic's four-hour run was a bit long. Pack some snacks because this is a trip. Right. You're in it for the long haul. And so the fact that Brunhilde was played by a rather robust woman and at the very end sang this beautiful aria, uh, that indicated that that was the end of the show. Okay. So it's not over to the fat lady. It's not sings. over to the fat. Okay. Got it. Okay. So. You know, a great way to shame women's body and to yeah, explain when something's well going to end. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's where it comes from. Like, okay, but that Brunhilde is actually based, well, a good chunk of the rivalry and the name Brunhilde versus Brunhild, which is what, the, you know, the original is, hails from this original story. Okay. Okay. Um, and we're talking about the the... This is going to hail back to 6th century Fran Francia. Francia? Francia? Francia. Um, Francia. Thank you. You can tell I read it and just didn't necessarily pay attention to too many of the podcasts. There, no, I think there's a handful of words where when you read it, that's just what your mind says it is. And then when you hear it actually being said, you're like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> that's say it like it's written. That is not how it's supposed no. to be No. And it's French. So, you know, you don't say half the words anyhow. Most um, letters don't count. Right. They're just extra. See when it's Scrabble. It's BS. I'm here for it. But anyhow, Frankia, as I'm sure you know, takes up France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Western and Southern Germany, and then a chunk of Switzerland. So that is the, the kingdom size we're talking about. So it's a decent Massive. chunk of land. Yeah. And then in the spring of 567, picture it. Princess. You got to say it just 
like the Golden Girls. Picture it. Spring you know, 567. I've actually never seen an episode of the Golden Girls, and I know that that feels like a huge misstep. You have one I, job. I, you know, apparently I've got many one jobs, and I'm failing at a good chunk of them. <laughs> okay, listen, when we're done with this, hit another cider and watch some Sophia, please. I mean, trust me, like, I know that it's going to be an absolute banger. I get absolute. Yeah. Like I know I Betty White. How can you mess up? Mm -hmm. I get it. it. If millennial men today are wearing shirts with the golden girls on them, you know, no, I I get it. I know that it aged well. I know like apparently it did did a bunch of good things. It just hasn't entered my, my sphere yet for whatever reason. It's had plenty of time. It just hasn't made its way in. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So Princess Brunhild, she comes from Spain. Well, the territory that the kingdom that is now Spain. But at the okay. time, you know, she's a Visigoth. Um, she's traveled more than a thousand miles across the snow-capped Pyrenees, over the sunny vineyards of Nabone, and then into the land of the Franks. Okay. So a thousand miles. I mean, a thousand miles today is a long ass journey. But for her, I mean, that's weeks. Yeah. Okay. She's being trailed by wagons that are piled high with gold, silver coins and ingots, bejeweled goblets, bulls, scepters, spurs, silks, the whole nine. The stuff. Yeah. Like now let's give you some background to the kingdom that she's about to marry into. Frankia followed Salic law. And so before that, it was a lot of like, or, now we think of the eldest son inherits the kingdom. But the way it was back then, it was if you have four sons, when you die, your kingdom's broken into four pieces. Maybe not equal pieces, but it's broken into four pieces. Okay. And so the only way to get a bigger inheritance is for one of your brothers to die. And they didn't necessarily care if you were legitimate or illegitimate. Okay. Okay, so it was it was a lot freer, a lot more kind of like a working class citizen happens. Like if your family dies, you go, okay, this is the inheritance. Not like, you know, there is only one throne, only one person can sit on it. Right. Okay. Okay. So I just want to give you that kind of background. Um, Her Princess Brunhild's dead father-in-law, which is the reason why she's coming over is because now she's going to marry and become a queen um he'd had four sons and so the kingdom she was coming into was originally one larger kingdom now broken into four parts um the one she's marrying her husband king sigibert he's got a massive kingdom australasia perhaps you've heard of this region (laughs) in fact yeah now it wasn't necessarily the size of the kingdom that really won Brunhild's father over into marrying him or allowing her to marry him. It was the fact that Sigibert's ambitions were also big. He's got a big, decent kingdom that really borders the Visigoth kingdom. And this guy is just not a slouch. He's got good work ethic. Right. Okay. So, okay. As all this is happening across the border of Australasia, there's another kingdom Neustria. Neustria? Neustria. That's what I'm going to go with, Neustria. News of Sigibert and Brunhild's marriage is met with great interest and alarm by the youngest brother, King Kilperic. 
Now, King Did you Kil- just make that name up? Chilp Chilp Herrick? I mean, I've been reading it for hundreds of pages, but no, it's C H I L P E R I C. So okay. Chilp Herrick? It's French, so she. Just because okay. you just ignore all the letters. Anyhow, sorry. That was Sorry, France. I know. I'll I'll learn French and then realize how bad that joke was. Um <laughs> Or don't live your best life. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'll just learn the swears. So Sigibert and Shilperic, they share 300 miles of border between their kingdoms. And the only way for Shilperic to get a bigger kingdom as the youngest brother with the runt of the kingdom is to invade his older brothers and take their stuff. I mean, so th- these are things, right? Sibling rivalry doesn't end. It I was just, just going to say changes. that sounds like a Tuesday. Right. So this is what he's been doing the past few years. And okay. he's just looking for ways to get more get more dough. So Chilperic, he's already had a wife, even though he's a little bit unnerved about Broodhild. His first wife, he sent away to a convent. As you do. I mean, okay, so his first wife. I didn't necessarily put this in the notes, but she was hilariously petty. Noble I'm blood. Sorry, we don't get a whole episode of her. No, not, I mean, okay, but she's not today. Maybe not today, but she's notoriously petty. She marries him pretty much against her will. She's supposed to be like a, you know, a peace cow kind of deal. And she's noble blood. This is supposed to be great. She doesn't want to fulfill her duties, doesn't want to entertain, doesn't want to be, it. she doesn't want to be involved in his bed, doesn't, none of it. Wants okay. to pray the entire time, lament her fate, wear hair shirts, which apparently are as comfortable as they sound. Won't sleep in beds, wants to sleep on the floor, wants to really live. So she's that uh, that type of pious that is like, oh, what is that called? Where you're just hating on your own comfort. Yes, yeah, you're just beating your own flesh every day. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay. so she's doing that. At the top of her lungs. I love her. And begging to be put in a convent. I mean, put her in a convent then. But Chopin didn't want to do that because she's noble blood. And he, she's she legitimates his reign a bit more and gives him more clout. And so losing her would be a huge struck to the ego. Anyhow, she ends up getting her own convent. Um, As so, you do. <laughs> I mean, he fought with, with her for a while. Um, so she gets parked in a convent in ruin. Um, and at this point, he wants a bride who will upstage Brunhild. He wants a bride who will also be royal. He wants a bride that'll be even more royal or more important. This is the youngest brother? The younger brother. The younger okay. brother wants the older brother's goods. And the older brother had a former wife that went to a nunnery. I'm making sure I the, understand the younger brother. Here. The younger brother's first wife went to the nunnery. And the younger brother oh. wants a second wife. So he's already like... Okay, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I thought you, the older brother who was marrying the princess was formally married to the nun would you get it together i've got 12 more characters to introduce i'm sorry (laughs) you did not send me with a a tree page to work off here so yeah i mean you didn't do your homework on my story that i knew nothing about until right now i'm I'm a little offended i'm sorry ethan and ian had one job and i gave it to both of them and they failed me Okay, so while I'm up with my feelings. Um, (laughs) So the youngest brother, he decides 
he's going to he's going to be older brother. He's going to marry Brunhild's elder sister, Galswintha. And Galswintha, the reason why she is so important is because Brunhild's dad only had two kids, both girls. Eldest oh. daughter is set to inherit the kingdom, the Visigoth right. kingdom. So this okay. is going to be fantastic. He's like, look, I'm going to do this. It'll be fantastic. Everyone's going to love it. Okay. The problem is there is no way in hell that King Athanagild, which does sound like I just made that up right now, um, is going to marry off Galswinda to him because he's got the smallest runt of a kingdom. Fair. That's what you would think, right? I mean, he would have laughed at this this idea. But uh, Choperic makes a startling offer. So back in Francia, imagine it. Francia? Francia? Francia. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do that this whole time. There's a tradition uh, of where you give your bride a Morgan Gabe. Butcher that. It's a morning gift. So the morning after you've consummated your marriage, that's the time you give your bride a gift. And the more prestigious the bride, the more prestigious the gift. So Sigebert, older brother, for example, he gives Brunhild a lavish estate in southern France. Oh, I Chilperic. was the wrong time. No, I think we married the wrong man or the wrong man. <laughs> we didn't marry the same. Like, I have a feeling there are still brides that get entire estates. We're just not of their ilk. They're not even country club people that are given estates. They own the country club. Yeah, you know what I'm several, in fact. They own the country. Yeah. Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Okay. <laughs> Did you know that Liechtenstein's national anthem is to the tune of God Save the Queen? I did. I but I just recently learned that. And I, okay. it's funny that I didn't share that with you when I learned it. Maybe you did, and maybe I'm repeating it back to you like you told it to me. Um <laughs> anyhow. Whatever. Anyhow. We're delighted um, by it. Kilper, he decides that he's going to give Galswintha, a third of his kingdom to buy her off. And uh Is, and, and Big Daddy's okay with this? King Dad, he seems to really like this idea. Okay. Both girls married off, both girls married nobility. Both girls can take care of themselves. This sounds both like a great idea. States. This sounds great. We're caring right. for it. Done. Okay. So just a year into the marriage, Galswintha catches kill Peric in bed with his favorite slave girl Fredegund. <sighs> the queen's outraged as you would as assume she should be mm-hmm. and she demands to return home one morning shortly after that uh, the palace awakes to find Galswintha dead in her bed she's been strangled in her sleep oh that is unfortunate yeah, what's really unfortunate is there's no searches for her assailants, no rewards being offered for their capture, no one's questioned, no one's punished, no one even talks to the guards who were posted outside the door of the royal bedchamber that night. Of course not. It's just, whoopsie. And three days later, he's marrying the slave girl he's caught in bed with, Fredegund. She killed her. 
you know, you're not necessarily wrong because one source writes, Chilperic ordered Gal Swintha to be strangled and found dead in bed. Whether Fredegan urged him on or not, people had always assumed that she had done this. So that she'd disposed of yet another rival for the king's affections. So we don't know much about Fredegan's background. She's done a crap ton to suppress it. Um, Being a slave and being elevated to a different station apparently happened quite a bit during this time because this was post-pandemic, post-massive climate change. Picture it. So there's a lot of instability. There's a lot of slavery. A lot of people, you know, just marrying willy-nilly out of, you know, so this social elevation to this extreme isn't as extreme yeah but it i mean it happened so it's not too out of the realm of possibility but uh normally when you would have a slave that would kind of elevate herself nobility she would grant her family members titles and lands and estates and jobs and give them important things uh fredegan does zero of these things and she doesn't really talk about her past and she just kind of lets it all so we have no idea basically that's that's what all this means okay so this is this is a thing now after okay so also one thing i need to mention here is fredegund at some point she catches the eye of chilperic's first wife the nun the the former nun well the the now nun um because she'd started out as a kitchen slave and gets promoted to queen's maid Okay. Just because she's good at at weaving around and and being kind of uh, slippery, conniving, shake your pick. She's a woman, so she's going to get a lot of those really negative things. Um, Now, after Galswinda's death, technically, the rights to the lands of the Morgan Gabe, those should be passed to Galswinda's family. Brunhild. And this becomes the pretext for an invasion that's carried out by Sigibert and the eldest brother, Guntram's husband, right? No, oh, there's no another brother. Okay. Yeah. Guntram, right. okay. eldest, eldest husband, middle brother, Sigibert. The fourth brother, I'm I'm just gonna ignore. He, I mean, he's in the story, but like, I mean, I had to cut stuff out. Uh, and then there's the younger brother, Jill Perrick. Okay. Okay. Got it. So as all of this is happening, uh, older brothers decide they're going to go down and kick the crap out of younger brother so that they can take back the Morgangabe to give it to Brunhild. Because technically it's hers anyhow. This is going to force him to give it up. Huh. Particularly since he kind of killed her sister. Kind of a thing. I mean, my wife's kind of pissed about this. We, we've got to do something. I don't know if you know this, but happy wife, happy life and all that. Yeah. And uh, you <laughs> killed her sister, dude. Okay. Kind of upset. So as they're doing all of this, trying to force Chilperic to like give up these lands, um, they it's 575. The fighting is spread to Chilperic's capital of Sisoin. Sigibert and Brunhild, they take up residence in Paris in Paris. And they're thinking of it as being the possible new capital for their dynasty. Okay. Chilperic is forced to pack up his treasury and flee as his brother rode out to accept the offers of loyalty from the nobles in Chilperic's northernmost territories. 
Okay. These are all things. These are exactly what you would expect to happen. It's like, look, you are a foregone conclusion. You are going to win this war. I might as well swear my allegiance now and make out money ahead. Be on done this. With it. Yeah. Yeah. So Brunhild is being welcomed as the queen of Paris and Fredegun finds herself as the queen of a bunker 40 miles away. And it's in this bunker that Fredegun gives birth. The baby's weak. They desperately need it to live because it's a boy. But Fredegun is absolutely despondent. She is just over it. This isn't what she wanted for her life. This isn't how she wants to end. Like, this is just awful. So she's having big feelings. And this is when normal people would make a last confession. They're going to call a priest. Fredegun summons two slave boys instead. She wants them to slip into the gathering where the armies are celebrating Sigebert's victory and assassinate him. If the boys were successful, they'd have zero hope of making it out alive. So she's sending him on a suicide mission. This, This sounds like an episode of Game of Thrones. Honestly, this inspired Game of Thrones. It has to. So it's common for these men to carry what's called a sac- a sacramask. It's a hunting knife with a 12-inch blade. And these knives are so ubiquitous that the boys can carry them openly in their belts and they're still going to appear unarmed. Right, okay. So Fredigan hands the boys a small glass vial of poison. And there's many poisons that are available to the Morovian household, which is this whole family right. line. Um, there's only two that would kill on contact wolfsbane and snake venom but both tend to lose their potency fairly quickly and they need to be applied to the weapon right before the attack so you can't just put it on overnight let it dry and then do your business like you got to be or just pour it in his wine i mean i don't know but that'd be the more covert way to do it i mean you know you're thinking about how to poison she's thinking about how to execute right like she just wants to think about how to execute and not die Look, you've got people to do it for you. Okay. Hmm. So the morning, these boys are likely, they they manage to get themselves into camp. They declare themselves defectors. They smear their blades with poison and they hang them back in their belts. And they catch up with the king and they pretend they they want to discuss something with him. And then just, they we don't know how big of a wound, but it said the smallest of wound would have killed him. Confused, Sigibert gives a little cry and falls. His guards quickly kill the two boys, but within minutes, Sigibert's dead. And this and, is Moonhild's husband. Yeah. Oh, so this assassination me. changes the power dynamic in Francia. Sigibert's armies flee while Kiki, Sig, Chil Parrot and Fredegan leave their bunker. They take control of Paris and they start expanding their kingdom's territory. Chil Parrot now realizes it was Fredegan that did all of this. And he makes his queen his most trusted of political advisors. Right then. So mm-hmm. She went from slave to right-hand man. And queen. Well, I mean, the queen was in the middle. Yeah. Okay. So it's now 584. Chill Peric is on his way home from a hunting expedition. And he's assassinated. <laughs> okay. Circumstances or circumstantial evidence strongly suggests that Brunhild's fingerprints are all over this. Okay. It's after, you know, and at this point, you know, Fredegan has, you know, some sons. I think she's got 
no, she's got one. Um, and so she's really trying to hold on to this kid because she needs to hold on to power and it takes a lot, but she ends up becoming a regent for her own kid and starts ruling over Neustria. Soon, the only person standing between these two queens, Fredegan and Brunhild, is the eldest brother, Gunthram. Okay. So Gunthram's ruling over Burgundy. He probably Burgundy. has a wife who's at home knitting and is like, Gunthram, just stay out of it. He He's a widow. <laughs> he's got oh, okay. no surviving sons. Oh, okay. And these queens are competing for his favor. And they're hoping he's going to name their kid as his heir. Oh, either one of them's children, right? Yeah. Okay. That because they got sense. they want to keep they want to keep the land in the family. Right, right. So that who's it going to go to? Is it going to my kid or her kid? I mean, she killed my husband. She's kind of an asshole. How about you just marry me? I don't think either of them want to marry him because neither want to lose their power. Like, oh right, that makes sense because they're one, both regents now. Yeah. Okay. One bride or one former wife ends up going to Gunthram and saying, you know, Hey, I'm bringing you all of this money. I want you to treat me right. And he ends up taking all the money, welcoming her in, sending her off to a convent, laughing at her and taking all the cash. That's how he feels about women. Got it. Okay. So these Brunhild and Fredegan, they've seen this, they've heard this, they know him. He's been at Christmas. They know what kind of man he is. They don't want him in their bed. Got it. All right. So they agree on something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he would love it if both of these women just retired to a convent. That ain't happening. I mean, Fred, again, she, at this point, she's had to assassinate so many people to keep her opponents in line. Like that, she just, she's the one to kill you. Brunhild's going to use- not the place to go. Yeah, Brunhild's going to use things like diplomacy. She's going to write letters to the Pope. She's going to write letters to the heads of the Byzantine Empire. Um, Fredegan's just going to... She's going to Cersei it. Yeah, basically, yes, actually. Cersei's a a brilliant analogy. Um, Okay. Meanwhile, Brunhild, she's regent for her son as well. And then at some point, her son ends up be- becoming, you know, hitting the majority so he can now rule on his own. But she still rules beside him as a co-ruler. He ends up getting married. She's still co-ruler. They refer to Brunhild and her son as the royal pair. Okay. So this is just like, holy crap. Like forgers knew if they want to forge documents, they use Brunhild's signature and or signal. Um Stamp, signet, signet. Yeah. and they don't even try to do her sons. They they know it's going to be cause of forgery immediately because he doesn't do crap. <laughs> okay, okay. Seal. That was what I was looking for. Anyhow, um, March twenty eighth, five ninety two, Gunther finally dies, and for once, there's no talk of poison. Oh, okay. Natural causes then. Yeah. Guntham was by Morovian standards, a very old king. He had just passed his 60th birthday and he was very clear about what his nephews would inherit. Fredegan and her son were allowed to keep their small kingdom, get a little bit more. Uh, Brunhild's son inherited Burgundy. Okay. Which meant that the land of the royal pair, as they're referred to, now dwarfs and encircles the lands of Fredegan and her son. 
Oh, okay. Both queens are now in their late 40s. Wow, I did not picture that at all. Okay. I mean, you got to think both started in their teens, right? Like they've been at this for a while. I mean, these queens fight for 40 years. Good Lord. Okay. And it's not like a petty cat fight. I mean, they're killing each other's husbands. Like, you know, (laughs) it it kind of escalated a bit. Um, A little bit. Okay. So peace, peace holds until about a year after Guntherm's death. It's now 593. Brunhild approves an attack on Saison. Saison being the capital city of Kilperic and, and Fredekin. Um, the countryside is devastated by their attacks and all the crops get burned to the ground. That checks. Fredekin gets a little hot under the collar. She's um, She's got some big feelings about this. So she marshals what forces she can and she decides to march out with her men. Love it. So, you know, you think about it things are as they were people are people men bond while they're serving the armed forces armies they tend to have their own cultures their own jokes they have shared history friendships are formed while marching pitching camp deciding strategy like all of that fortunes are made while robbing and pillaging towns like this is what you do to form tight bonds with your army the queen might occasionally come behind enemy lines with her king or while being evacuated by one place or another but she's decidedly not considered a warrior in her own right. Like that has never been the place of a queen. Fredegan, she decides it's, we don't know whether it's out of design or desperation, but she's going to change this. She marches to a place called Bernie Riviere, which is one of Chilperic's favorite villas. It's situated just outside of Saison. Fredegan raids one of the treasuries and just like a traditional barbarian king, she distributes the valuables among her own soldiers. So basically they know they're going to lose this treasury anyhow. So they just raid it on their own, give it to her own troops. Cool. That way the men are like, Hey, this is kind of nice. Like I like this. And she's hoping it gives them a little bit more of nerves of steel because they don't know yet. The men don't know yet how painfully outnumbered they are. Right. Okay. So she's really trying to do her best to keep them in her good graces. Okay. She realizes that she's got absolutely no hope of defeating them in an outright battle face to face. So she decides that she's going to be a little bit different. They march 15 miles at night for a surprise attack. And Fredegan is thinking about this the same way as a Roman field commander might. So this is right after the fall of the Roman Empire. So I was actually just thinking like very similar to like Caesar wanted to make sure that whatever Caesar you were wanted to make sure your men loved you because they had no problem rising up if they didn't. Right. So not only that, but she also knew that if you're if you're going to confront a larger army, you need to make damn sure that you've picked the battlefield and you need to use whatever trickery you got up your sleeve to get this done so she tells her men to disguise themselves they um they pick up tree branches they're marching at night it's completely dark and she ties an occasional bale to a horse because at night armies would just let their horses roam they'd have bells tied to them so they could go forage for their own food so you just hear the tinkling of little bells think of it like range cattle right okay so 
she's having the men carry the tree branches to disguise the men on horses behind them so it's a walking forest i love this they walk 15 miles they surround brunhild's army and then at sunrise they're surrounded and slaughtered brunhild's army brunhild's army okay so i should say a sentry approaches he he hears the tinkering bells and he asks weren't there fields in those places out there yesterday why do we see woods Another sentry laughs at this alarm and says, but of course you would have been drunk. That's how you've blotted it out. Do you not hear the bells of our horses grazing next to that forest? Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they die. Mm-hmm. Brunhild's army saves Saison and then they go on the, the offensive and they're riding east and they're penetrating 40 miles into Australasia's territory. And then because she's a little heated about burning the crops to the ground, they, um, she Wait, so, said, uh, who's, who's forced Bru- to win 40? Bru- so Fredigan, she okay. goes 40 miles into Australasia, which is Brunhild's territory. Okay. I'm just making sure because I thought you said Brunhild and I was like, oh, oh wait, yeah, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I might've, but I didn't mean to. So then, you know, at this point they're in the Champagne region and she burns everything to the ground. As you do. Because she's a little, little pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, they return home like a true Frankish warrior with tons of loot, tons of spoils. And that is basically Fred again in, a, in like, you know, encapsulated. She just went out and took it. Fred again, she ends up, you know, like according to historical records, dying in her bed. Okay. So, well done. Um, Small problem. There's a... While there's no actual, like, hey, we think she was assassinated, uh, historians kind of look at her death as being really convenient for her son. Rough. Yeah. (laughs) And she only has the one, right? She only has the one son that lived. She's got... She has two daughters that, that survived. I mean, okay. she had like seven kids, most of them sons, and she just kept losing sons like I lose most things. And <laughs> I, was I was so hard waiting for you to geese to these specific, like she loses sons, like I lose socks, and you're like, things, all the things. Yeah, basically <laughs> anything I put down is gone. It disappears into a black yeah. hole underneath my hand. I feel that. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say it was only the one thing. It's not the one thing. So at this point, when Fredegan dies, Brunhild is still regent. But at this point, her two sons have died. Okay. So she's regent over her grandsons. Okay. So she's still in the seat. I like it. It's after she dies. I mean, I could tell you how she died. I don't. You know, it's kind of a buzzkill. Okay. Brunhild or... I mean, we know that Fredegan dies in her bed. Okay. Maybe murdered. Nah. Maybe, you know, it's Keep convenient. Keep coroner busy. Die right. weird. Die weird. Um, Brunhild, Brunhild gets captured by her nephew, Fredegan's mm. son. Fredegan, or Fredegan's son, King 
Clother the second. He uh he, he is a bit pissed because this this chick has made his life a living hell, killed his dad. Right. For in most of his life it's been a living hell. Yeah, he, he she's just been a thorn in his side. So he he kills her like when they capture her they're like okay well they're going to send her to a convent she's going to go to a convent she's going to go to a convent right like that star wars meme right right yeah. <laughs> um each of her limbs is tied to a horse oh yeah okay okay yeah. that's all you need to say got it yep so the queens die and uh, Fredegan's son, King Clother II, he takes steps to obliterate the legacies of his mom and aunt. And then things only get worse for Brunhild and Fredegan and their reputations during the Carolinian dynasty, King Charlemagne, the whole nine, um, when that happens in the 8th century. There's Carolinian women who attempted to rule as regents as well. And so historians at the time were tasked with showing women and women with power leading to chaos, war, and death. Because of these two broads. But yeah, exactly. Let's not let's not account for the fact that their husbands started it. And they just did it better, longer. They they finished it. <laughs> right. Look, you give me a fist, I'm returning it broken. Yes. Yep. Fredigan's recast as a femme fatale, and Brunhild is a murderer or murderess, lacking all maternal instinct. Which is so far from the historical record, it's laughable. Because you you watch Brunhild bend kingdoms in half to get her children safe. That checks. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking historians. Yeah. Well, the historians are doing the work. Um, With their accomplishments cut from history, the queens took root in legends and myth. The walking forest strategy that Fredigan engineered uh appears more than a thousand years later in shakespeare's macbeth that's awesome i was thinking it sounded familiar but i couldn't place like where what i'd seen it before in or like how it was mentioned before yeah that's awesome some scholars and folklorists have found iterations of the strategy in 11th century um and again at the end of 12th century but Fredegan's story predates their earliest, the earliest of these battles by three centuries. Yes. And so she pioneers this whole thing. I love that. And then there's mentions of a walking forest in Celtic myths. And those are difficult okay, to date. That's where I'd heard it from. Okay. Because I was thinking when you had mentioned something about the um, soldier saying like, no, obviously you were just drunk yesterday. I was like, that's a very Irish statement to make. <laughs> right. You know, but we have recordings of that because we have people that survived that that said, oh, gosh, we should. Billy saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. But with the Celtic myths, we don't know if she was inspired by them or if she was raised in a Catholic community before her enslavement and maybe picked up on some of these strategies from older pagan tales that were told to her as oh, a child. right, because we, we don't, don't know, know. Her- Right. Okay. okay. She is a blank slate, which is ma- marvelous. Yes. So the queens, they resurface in the 19th century as romanticism sweeps across Europe. In England, there's we, we kind of see this resurgence of King Arthur. In France and Germany, we see it with the barbarian tribes that ruled after the fall of Rome, like the Mor- Morovians, Moro- Morovinians. 
I said it so strongly and so correctly the first several times and I blew it here. Anyhow. I loved it. These are all things. Um, In 1819, people wandered the halls of the Paris Exposition with long hair brushing their shoulders dressed as the Merovingians, which is just fabulous. There's a fury or flurry of works that features the Queen's There's a multitude of books, poems, operas, plays, prints, portraits. Uh, There's a poem. I'm going to butcher this because it is not. So, okay, it translates to the the song of the Nublungs. And that's written actually in the year 1200. And that was, that's where we get the operatic tale from. That was the okay. one that they made the tale, you know, the Brunhild with the, you know, ah, ah, Viking, you know, it's not over till the fat lady sings. Um, that armored boobs, the whole thing. Yeah. So the main plot line focuses on an argument between two royal sister-in-laws that ripped the realm apart. Hmm. And that's the text that serves as the inspiration for the opera, the 15 hour long opera, should you have nothing else to do with your year. <laughs> that is an entire season of something yeah i mean you need to break that down to smaller bits you don't binge that yeah no you take a break maybe that 15 hour opera was the original binging maybe anyhow um brunhild's grave zero markers the abbey where she was buried is now in east central france it was sacked during the french revolution like many this is why we can't have nice things um <laughs> yep only the lid of her supposed sarcophagus remains there's two pieces of smooth black marble slab that are on display at a small museum along with a couple of vases and statue fragments uh fredigan's tomb is on display at the majestic basilica de saint denis in paris where it was relocated after the revolution so after she dies she's buried next to her uh, husband and their bodies removed um the queen's likeness is rendered in stones and enamel that are set to the mortar, and that image is outlined by copper, and the former slave holds a scepter and wears a crown. Yet the Statue of Liberty? What was that? Is she the Statue of Liberty? No, no. Oh. I wish I could say that that's where we got it from, but not not so much. Um, yet for the glory of, of how beautiful her tomb is and everything that we get to keep, Fredigan's complicated legacy is reduced to the inscription Fredegundia Regina Uxor Chilperiki Regis Regis Queen Fredegan wife of King Kelperic neither of these monarchs is commemorated with the title that both demanded absolutely earned during their lifetimes not wife not mother of kings but a great phrase that I won't read out loud that translates to the most excellent and glorious queen of the Franks. Can and... you send me that phrase? Okay, it's... You don't have to read it out loud. Can you just send it to me? Yeah, I can totally do that. <laughs> I would totally do that for you. Um, but that is the story of Queens Brunhild and Fredegan, the forgotten queens of Francia that held the 40-year civil war i love that so much and it will be going away at the top of my to be read list now it was like several pages down because it's in years do you have the book 
I don't have it yet. I just have it in my list of like my Kindle. Do list. you want the paperback? I I'm not gonna say no. Cause I have it somewhere. It's in the other room. But I have I can just send it to you. It's pretty much what I do with a lot of my books. I just Hey, I read a book. You know it because the UPS man dropped it off. <laughs> I love that word. Rosalind Tissimie et Gloriissime Francorum Regine. I love that so much. Right? Where's You should have been wearing a crown while you did this. I can't in their presence. <laughs> I knew. Okay, so I I was telling Ani um, stories about these queens. And one of them, so Fredigan has one of her daughters that just, they get on each other's nerves and they fight and they fight and they fight. And they Fredigan have- and her daughter? Fredigan and her daughter. Like they have okay. knocked down drag out frights. And I can't say that and make it not sound like a hyperbole um but at one point the servants come rushing into fredigan's bed chambers because they hear screaming fredigan has taken her daughter's head and is holding it on the edge of a trunk and is slamming the hood of the trunk down <laughs> on her oh my gosh and the servants rip the two of them apart afraid that fredigan's going to kill her daughter and all this was about because the daughter wanted to wear the pink bow, not the yellow one. I mean, I think it had more to do with the fact that she just wanted out of her mother's household, wanted out of her mother's control, had a marriage proposal that fell apart and was really ticked off at her mother. Um, at some point in the process of this falling apart, like the daughter is forced to seek sanctuary in a church for like an inane amount of time. And Fredigan's busy trying to like, stay alive and keep everybody alive so she can't go yeah. rushing to the the church to come get her daughter so make nice yeah so basically everyone's got big feels nobody got to to take the car when they needed to take the car and now we're slamming yeah. each other's heads and trunks <laughs> how did the wee girl feel about that um apparently she had some big feelings that made mommy have big feelings and now everybody needs to go do some cocaine about it and remove all the traveler's trunks from the house. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, great, great read. You'll absolutely love it. I am super excited. Uh, super looking forward to it. Can you hear the helicopters? I mean, maybe. I can't tell if they're motorcyclers coming from my headphones or not, so... I, there's helicopters flying really low over. It's summertime in California, um, which means fire season. Yep. So they're they are flying low overhead today, which is interesting because I haven't see, received an alert. Usually, when they fly this low, the the alerts go off because the fire is pretty close. Right now, it's like, hey, uh, you remember that go bag we told you to pack yesterday? Mm -hmm. uh, is that in the trunk by chance? It should, should be, be in the trunk. No, we don't have go bags packed, but we do have like uh, outside of clothes, like as far as like paperwork, all the paperwork that needs to leave with us is right next to the computer, which will also leave with us. So we'll just be able to take everything in one. 
one go. Well done. Yeah. Well done. It's a bummer that you have to have that kind of planning. Yeah. I remember one time there was a fire in the field across the street from our house. Um, this was shortly before there is, it's a horse field now. There's horse and cattle in it, so it's not so big of an issue anymore. But before it used to be just kind of an open meadow. Mm. And it would light on fire pretty regularly. So there was a pretty good size one once and I came home and the neighborhood was, you know, obviously blocked off and closed down, but it was literally right across the street, like flames licking at the road. And I get through the front door and Ian looks at me and goes, okay, the sheriffs were just here. Um, We're not being evacuated yet, but they said to plan for evacuation. So do you know where your favorite t-shirt is? And I can say I've never appreciated somebody's planning better than him because he knew I was just going to sit there and be like quietly stressed about the whole thing. So he was like, let me find you the thing to do. Where's your t-shirt? So I spent the next hour looking for my t-shirt because it was, you know, I just like redid the whole like organization of our bedroom. Yeah. And so he kept me occupied until the sheriff came back and said, okay, you're good to go. You can stay home. Thanks for that. I also know where my t-shirt is. I'm going to go take a shower now. Yeah. <laughs> now that I know I'm not going to leave in a panic. We're good. Goodbye. <laughs> so, yeah. Now it's not so much a, a sad thing as it is just a state of summer. We just expect it. We're like, yeah, okay. Know where your favorite t-shirt is. It's the it's California equivalent of Hitchhiker's Guide. Do you have your towel? Exactly. Which is the second most important important traveling item where is your towel yes and everyone in my house has a favorite towel my husband likes these really thick beach towels Mm -hmm. and he didn't realize they were beach towels and I was just like I kept getting upset because I kept folding them and putting them in the back of the closet and then pulling out the bath towels Mm -hmm. it's not beach time it's bath time we don't Different need to... towels. Yeah, like we don't need the massive one. And he uses two of them. And I'm like, my love, my love, you are a fit man. You do not, you you don't have enough body. Nor do you have enough hair. Yeah, I mean, he's bald. Because <laughs> I now have this image of him wearing the hair turban. What he does is he half-ass wipes down the lower half wraps the towel around him and then takes the other extremely large towel the terry for two and proceeds to very systematically dry the rest of him and i'm like how how do you use so much terry cloth why i love this for him i hate it for you though because i know how this feels you know, it's not as, as infuriating as when I opened the closet, I saw three drills in the hall closet and no hammer. And I said, I, I just need to hang a photo. And I, I hate to tell you this, babe, but you have two hands. Let's do some simple math here. I don't understand why we have three drills. There is no world in which you can use all three of them at the same time. And I don't see you walking around the house, wee, 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 drill in either hand. Teresa, he just has to have them. But I I ended up hanging a photo with a stapler, bashing <laughs> a nail into the wall with a stapler because 
it seemed to be the best choice because the drills were unwieldy. The most effective. And I'm like, can't I have one hammer? You have three effing drills. My my constant battle is over the measure tape. We're always measuring things, always. And I... so I've always kept one right outside the garage, like right outside the kitchen in the garage, and yeah. he gave it away. And I was like, why did you take my measure tape? He's like, oh, so-and-so needed it. And I was like, well, you better Well, your Lowe's. wife needed it first. <laughs> so he he immediately went to Lowe's and procured me another one. Oh, good for you. I, I, I can't keep my hands on... I measure tape in the, in the silverware drawer. That's, that's interesting. Because when the boys were littler measuring their height... You don't just draw it on the wall? No, we do, but they were always specific, like, how many inches tall am I, Mom? It ain't yeah, Disneyland. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, it's important when there's two. They need to know. That's fair. All right. We don't, this is a battle, we don't fight. <laughs> you got it, sir. You're 71 millimeters tall. <laughs> millimeters? I'm. He's just, that tall? I'm just changing it to different measurements. I mean, no, your, your son now is Tiny Tim, pocket-sized. That's like 10 millimeters, 70 millimeters would be seven of those. <laughs> the fire is uh, like 15 miles away. It's 15 acres. It's called the Johnson fire. It's got its I own just, name. I just Look got at the, it. Oh yeah, they all get, they all get names. Just got it. Two additional air tankers. All right then. Okay. Well, if you have loved listening to me regurgitate my uh, book report that I did, and you just can't get enough of book reports like this, then rate, review, subscribe. You can also email us. We're at unhingedhistorypod at gmail.com. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Even if you're just here to tell me how I butchered any of the words that I said and my retelling of French should have me flogged. I'm here for it. <laughs> I won't let you flog her, though. I mean, I'd like to see you try. I'm I'm getting stronger. I'm getting ready to ditch my last crutch. Ooh, girl, get it. I know. And for my next trick. No, but <laughs> seriously, we enjoy this. We do this for you. So... Give us a shout. And on that note, I would goodbye. I always thought we did oh. this for each other and we just subject everybody else to it. <laughs> I mean, okay, no, I do it for you. I truly do. And then occasionally I'll get a LinkedIn message going like, hey, I love that last episode. I'm kind of bummed that I don't commute into the office anymore because I don't have a lot of time for pods, but I listen to you and I'm mowing the lawn. The okay, phrase, I, I listen to it. you when I blank is difficult for me to hear out of context but i try to make it work i love that do you get that yet um i got uh i'm brand i'm how, how did she word it she my girlfriend just recently listened to the lichtenstein podcast and said quote i am now a lichtensteiner your podcast was so much fun and i was like Lichtensteiner it is. <laughs> See, I guess I guess we do do it. We do it for everybody. It's a public service. It really is. 
It's giving you something to listen to while you mow your lawn and commute. Right. Yeah. It's a saying. You could be doing cross-stitch to the sound of screaming cats, but you're listening to us. And cross-stitching. Well done. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay, well, on that note, goodbye. Bye. Bye.